Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And uh, for you who have been gone for the summer, we started, of course, Luke uh, about a year ago. We go verse by verse, passage by passage, and uh, we're at chapter 11. You didn't miss a whole lot in the summer. I mean, when I say didn't miss a lot, didn't miss a lot of chapters. There's a lot there. The Gospel of Luke is incredible, and in the weeks to come, in the months to come, we're continuing going through it verse by verse, passage by passage. And there, we're about to get to the part where Jesus will get to Jerusalem to die for us. So it's really going to be amazing. As we continue this morning, morning he's made the change he's leaving the northern part of israel and he's going to the southern part of israel to jerusalem to die on the cross and pay for sin that's the key and as he goes the opposition from these religious leaders gets worse and worse and worse they want to stop him they do not want jesus to be known as the messiah they don't want people to believe in him they want to stop him because they're afraid of him number one they see that he's unique and special they think that if for some reason people begin to follow jesus that they'll lose their position so that's what they're thinking now this morning we're going to see two things Two things. First of all, Jesus continues teaching about prayer. That's what we're going to see. Because they ask him, teach us to pray. And he did that. And we're going to see boldness and persistence in prayer. And then the second thing is we're going to see is the opposition from the religious leaders. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the charge this morning, they say, Jesus is from the devil. That's what they say. We'll see how that fits together. There's some great things I think we can apply in our lives, especially on prayer. You start a new year. You start school. There's all kind of pressures. There's all kind of things in our lives. And one thing you need to be able to do and need to know that you can do is come boldly into the throne of grace and, and lift your request to God. We'll see that as we go through it this morning. Well, you know, as, as, you, as you know God's word, you realize that mankind has fallen. We sinned, go all the way back to Adam and Eve. They ate the fruit. They rebelled in the garden. And they need a Savior. Mankind needs a Savior. Everyone who comes in this world is dead and trespasses and sins. And we need a Savior. Well, from the very beginning, God promised a Savior. And, and you can say, okay, he's, he called it the seed of woman who was going to crush the head of the serpent. Well, how are we going to know? How would mankind know when the Messiah came? Because the promise started with Adam and Eve and goes all the way up. Well, he told Adam and Eve it would be the seed of woman. He told Abraham, Abraham, he said, Abraham, one of your descendants will be the Messiah. In fact, he, through this one of your descendants, all the whole world will be blessed. He told David that one of his descendants, his son, would be the king who would sit on the throne. He told Micah that in chapter 5, verse 2, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He told Isaiah in chapter 7 that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. In Isaiah chapter 35 and Isaiah chapter 61, there were certain signs that the Messiah would do when he, come, when he would come. He would heal the sick and raise the dead and proclaim the good news message. Well, the truth is this. When Jesus Christ came, he fit the whole thing. You go all the way back and you think of it. He was born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. He's descendant of Abraham, descendant of David. He did all of the miracles found in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. And as we study the Gospel of Luke, we see that Luke shows that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He is doing this. Now, as we look at it, we see that he's being rejected. Now, we look at it, we say, well, we see Jesus. He's our Savior. Who would reject him? Well, they did. They didn't want to believe in him. Many of the Jewish nation, the people, looked at him and said, no, that, he doesn't fit what we think the Messiah ought to be. And this morning we're going to see religious leaders reject him. And he's doing miracles, but they cannot deny the miracles. He, he cast a demon out of this person, and this person who couldn't speak now speaks. They can't say that didn't happen. So how are they going to deal with this? We'll see it this morning as we study it. And, and there's some, some great things there. Well, let's begin. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He has just been teaching his men how to pray. They came up to him and said, teach us to pray. And he said, this is how you pray. You pray to the Father, 
you worship and praise, you ask for provision, you ask for forgiveness, in a sense you pray for forgiveness and for protection. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. We're going to kind of give a quick review of what we saw last time because a lot of people say, oh, I want to go over that. I mean, what, what was the pattern for prayer? And we'll see that. Now, following this, he then gives some more information about prayer and he talks about boldness and persistence in prayer. And we, we realize we're to come boldly unto the throne of grace, and we'll talk about that. So two things this morning, the prayer, the boldness and persistence in prayer, and we're going to see that God answers prayer. But then the second thing, which is what I already mentioned, the charge against Jesus that he's actually from the devil. And we'll see how that ties together. Now, look at chapter 11, verse 1. Notice what happened. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, Jesus had been praying, and when he got through praying, one of the disciples came up representing everybody else and saying, Would you teach us to pray? And so Jesus taught them to pray. In fact, in verses 2, 3, and 4, uh, 2, 3, 4 is a famous uh, passage which is often called the Lord's Prayer. If you go to the Gospel of Matthew, it's a longer version of it. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It, it really ought to be entitled the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus taught them. This is the prayer for the disciples. The Lord's Prayer is actually John 17. It's called the High Priestly Prayer where Jesus himself prays. This is where he teaches us what we should pray. Now, as we look at this, I want to raise some questions for you. Number one, what is prayer? Number two, how to pray. Number three, answered and unanswered prayer. And number four, the model prayer. And that's the prayer. Now, we saw this last week. I'm just reviewing just a little bit. The first question is, what is prayer? Some people are confused, but prayer is simply talking to God. That's all it is. You can talk to him anytime, anyplace, anywhere about anything, but that's what prayer is, is you're maintaining your fellowship with God as you talk to him. You can make requests and intercessions and uh, confession and petitions and all of that that you're talking to God. The second question is how to pray. How do we pray? The Bible has a pattern for us when we pray. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, they asked him about praying, he said, when you pray, say this, say Father, we have the privilege and the right to come to our Heavenly Father. We actually call Him Daddy, Abba Father. We can come to Him, Jesus said, to, to pray to the Father. We pray in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. When you end a prayer, you say, in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. That's just not to let everybody know you're through. It's to say that I'm approaching the living God in the name of Jesus Christ. See, that's the only right you have to approach the living God. Jesus died for you, paid for sin, rose again, seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the intercessor and the advocate for us. So when you pray, the only right you have to pray to talk to the Father is through Jesus. So you pray to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit through you. Romans chapter 8 talks about the Holy Spirit. We don't even know what to pray for, but the Spirit does and helps make intercession for us. So that's how you pray. The third question was answered in unanswered prayer. And what we realize is that God answers prayer. Sometimes the answers are yes, sometimes they're no, and sometimes they're wait. So whenever you pray, know that God is going to answer that prayer. There is a couple, there are a couple places in the Bible where it talks about prayer is unanswered because either it's sin in our lives or it's just not according to the will of the Father. And so sometimes we say, I want this, I want this, and we want a yes answer, and he says the answer is no. So he answers prayer, yes, no, and sometimes it's wait. The fourth thing is the model prayer. 
And that model prayer is often called the Lord's Prayer. And there were, there were several things in it. There were five things in it. There was worship, praise, provision, confession, uh, confession, and protection. That's how it fits. I want you to notice. Look at verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, you pray to the Father, hallowed be your name. That's worship because we're saying set apart is your name, holy is your name. Then he says your kingdom come, which is praise because we're praising God in the fact that he's working all things according to his plan and he's going to come as the king. And then give us each day our daily bread. That's for provision. And then, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's confession. And then, and lead us not into temptation. That's protection. So as a pattern for all of us, and because they asked Jesus directly, show us how we to pray. And he said, here's a pattern. When you pray, you worship, you praise, you confess, you ask for petitions, and you ask for protection. So that happens. Now, he's going to go on and he's going to show us another principle dealing with prayer. And this one will take you the rest of your life. This one will be able to be the thing you go back to over and over again. Because you know that you, you, you worship God. You know that He's in control. You know that He's going to provide for you. You confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you. you. You pray for provision and protection. But this next part that He does is something that you will use the rest of your life. It's the idea that you come boldly to God, consistently offering up your prayers and your requests to Him. That's what we're going to see as we go through this. So, and so I think right here is this other aspect of prayer is we come boldly and persistently. Sometimes we think that if we tell God something, we say, God, would you do this? Or I want you to do this. Oh, Lord, I would like for you to answer this. And we think if we go back maybe the next day and ask the same prayer, that somehow that's not good. Somehow maybe God, we think, like, God might have forgot. No. Are, are we supposed to keep asking? Are we to come boldly? We're going to find in this passage that you are to take the request that you have and you're to come boldly to God and you're to continue to offer those requests over and over. This is what he tells us. He tells it by a story. Let's look at the story that he gives. Remember, the man asking to pray, how to pray, he teaches them those five different things, and then he gives them a story. Look at the story. Then he said to them, this is verse 5, then he said to them, suppose one of you had a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now here's the story. He says, suppose this is you. Suppose one night somebody shows up at your house that's a friend of yours and they've been on this long journey and they get there and you say, hey, let's get something to eat and you look and you have no bread. It's midnight. And you say, just wait right here. I'm going to my neighbor. I'm going to my friend. I'm going to wake him up. I'm going to wake him up. I'm going to knock on the door. I'm going to say, wake up. i got to have some bread. I need three loaves of bread. i got a friend who came from a long way and I need some food. This is the story. He says, suppose that's you. That you're going to go to your neighbor in the middle of the night, wake him up, and ask him for food. Because some friend has shown up. So look what he says. He says, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says, friend, loan me three loaves. Now, I want you to understand, people went to bed a lot earlier than they do now. Midnight, the middle of the night, these people have been asleep for a while. It's not like they just turned off some late night show. They're asleep. They've been asleep. They're going to get up when the light starts, when the sun comes up. You knock on the door and say, friend, I need three loaves. Now, I want you to understand, this guy is coming boldly to his friend. 
Because somebody could say, oh, don't, don't go wake people up. Oh, no, I'm going to go wake him up. Don't go wake him up. I'm going to wake him up. i got to have the bread. He's coming boldly. Now watch what happens. It says that he went and knocked on the door, woke his friend up, said, Friend, lend me three loaves. I have a friend who's come from a journey, come to me from a journey, and I don't have anything to give him. I need it. He has come boldly in the middle of the night asking for food. Now, sometimes people traveled at night, not late at night. Usually when it got dark, they traveled for a little bit because it was cooler in those days to travel when it was darker. But then they would look for a home, they would look for a place to stop. They didn't travel late at night. So this is unusual that somebody has come and it's the middle of the night and he's going to go wake up his friend. So watch what happens. He knocks on the door and says, I need three loaves of bread. And from inside, verse 7, and from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, from inside, the guy says, and you can picture this, he he hears this, he doesn't get up. He goes, quit bothering me. The door's already locked. My, My kids are in bed. We're all in bed. I'm not getting up. I cannot get up to get you what you want. Now, he says... The door has been shut. The way it's written in the Greek, it says the door has been shut, meaning it's been shut and it's, it's going to stay shut. That's the plan. And, and the children are in bed and I'm in bed and I cannot get up. Now, in that day and time, they usually slept all in one room. And so what he's saying is, wait a minute, you're waking up my whole family, you're knocking on the door, waking up my whole family, you want me to get up, wake up my kids, wake up everybody to get you bread. He says, I cannot do it. Now, what he's really saying is, I'm not going to do it. It's not that I can't do it. I can get up physically and do this, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to get up and wake up my whole family for this. I'm already settled. This is a bother to me. Now, what Jesus wants us to learn from the story, because you're going to see it in just a second, is that this guy has come boldly to his neighbor, waking him up, wanting the bread. He is not going to be deterred. Watch what happens. Verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, NIV actually uses the word boldness, yes, because of his persistence, uh, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now he says, he's not going to get up because he's his friend. In fact, after this, he may not be his friend, right? He said he's not going to get up because he's his friend. He's going to get up because the guy was bold enough to wake him up in the middle of the night and say, I'm not leaving until I get three loaves of bread. He will get up and give it to him. Not because he's a friend, but because of his persistence, his boldness. This, this word, persistence, literally means shamelessly. It's the idea that I'm shameless. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I don't care. I don't care what time it is. I don't care. I've got to have three loaves. I don't care. I don't care if they're all asleep. I'm going to get what I need, and I'm going to keep asking until I get it. That's what this word means. It has the idea of that you will just come, and you'll come boldly. Now, it says, this guy's going to get up and give it to him. Because, he says, this guy's never going away. He's just going to keep knocking on the door. He's going to keep saying, I'm going to just get up. Not because I'm his friend, but because he just keeps coming. Now, how do we approach our Heavenly Father? The Bible says, come boldly 
to the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Philippians 4 6 says, Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Whatever you want to talk to Him about, don't you ever hesitate to take it to Him. He says, you come boldly to the throne of grace. Warren Wiersbe said this, if a grouchy neighbor will finally get up and meet the need, how much more our loving Heavenly Father. We can come to Him boldly anytime. You know why? Number one, He says come. Number two, He answers prayers. And number three, we have an intercessor, and that intercessor is Jesus Christ. He is the advocate and intercessor. He died and rose again, uh, rose again, then ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father as the advocate and intercessor for us. So the first thing you remember as you start the school year, as you start, we go through this time, you can come to God about anything, anytime, any place, anywhere, and you come boldly. And sometimes you say, well, I, I asked him about it and, and I didn't hear anything, so maybe I just better shut up. No, he says, you come boldly. Because if a cranky old neighbor will get up because the guy keeps on asking, how much more will your heavenly Father give you what you need? Look what he says. It's powerful because the first aspect is to come boldly. But there's another aspect to it. Look at verse 9. So I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Literally in the Greek it says, I say to you, keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking it will be, and you will find. Keep on knocking and it will be opened to you. The way it's written in the Greek it says you just got to keep on. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Think about it. I think we've got it. Ask and it will be given. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Luke 8, 1 says you ought to always pray and not faint, not stop. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Keep on taking it to God over and over and you come boldly he said come boldly you know why you can come boldly you're a child of God you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior you belong to him you have Jesus as the advocate you can come straight to God boldly and say Lord this is what I need and you can keep on asking him for it this is what he's teaching us keep on asking. There's some of you, there's been things in your life and you prayed and, and then you feel guilty that if you want to pray more about it, if it hadn't, it hadn't come like you thought yet or something and you're praying for something and you say, well, I feel guilty if I, if I bring it back up again. No. Sometimes people say, listen, like I was taught this right after I trusted Christ. I was taught by somebody that said, when you pray, you only have to pray one time. God knows everything. You just say it one time. You don't have to ever say it again. God knows it, and, and that's it. The problem is that's wrong. He didn't say that. In fact, he says, you just keep asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Come boldly. You know why? Because prayer's not for God. Prayer's for us. Prayer's us talking to God. He didn't say, ask me once, don't worry about it. He says, just keep on talking to me. Keep on coming to me. I love you. I want you to talk to me. And so he says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Because everybody who asks receives, and everybody who seeks finds, and everybody who knocks, it's going to be open. Keep on doing it. If a friend 
will get up and get the bread because the guy keeps on asking, how much will our Heavenly Father, who loves you beyond what you could imagine, how much will He give you? Will He not give you everything you need? Now, I said it that way on purpose, not everything you want. See, sometimes you say, oh, I want this, Lord, I want this, I want this, and He's saying, you don't know what you want. That's not best for you. This is what's best for you. I'm going to answer your prayer. It's just not exactly like you thought it would be. He gives you what you need always. Look at this contrast. He's going to show the, the difference between humans and God. Look, look at verse 11. He says, Now suppose one of you, one of your fathers, is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? He says, what if just a regular old person, here's a human being, and he's got a son, and the son comes up to him and says, Daddy, can I have, you know, a fish or something? And, and, and he doesn't say, oh, yeah, I'm going to give him a snake. Because, see, yeah, that's what I'll do. And he says, well, what if he asks for an egg? You're not going to give him a scorpion, are you? If human beings who are evil, he says it, we're, we're fallen people, if we know how to give good things to our kids, how much more... Our Heavenly Father, who loves us beyond we can imagine, and He's perfectly righteous and good, how much more? Look what it says, verse 13. If you then, being evil, fallen people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father? How much more? He says here, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The Gospel of Matthew says, how much more will He give to those things that they ask for? We'll come back to the part about the Holy Spirit in just a second. But the bottom line is... That if people know how to give good gifts to our own children and we're fallen, how about the perfect God? Does He know what to give us? My, my children are grown up now, but they still ask for things. But I can still remember when they were little and they would ask for something. They'd Daddy, can I have this? And you'd say, oh, sure, you can have this. You wouldn't give them something evil. You wouldn't give them something terrible. You wouldn't give them something that hurt them. And if we are fallen people would give good stuff to our children... How much more our great God who loves you will give you what you need. What you need. In this passage he mentions the Holy Spirit because after his death and resurrection, the promise of the Father to every believer is the Holy Spirit. And I think that's why he mentions it sort of as a foreshadow of what he's going to do. It's after his death and resurrection, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit to come live inside of us. Now, bottom line, and this will go the rest of your life, you should go boldly to God every day, anytime, any place, anywhere, about anything, and you keep on asking because He's good. He loves you, and when you come and you ask and you spend time talking to Him, He says, I'm going to give you what you need. Don't you ever hesitate to lift up your request. You may think, well, this sounds selfish. No. He says, let your request be made known. That's what we do. Wow. Come boldly. Come persistently. Come that way because you have Jesus Christ as your intercessor and, and all of that. Now, from this, from this point right there, he then, we, we see something else because Luke tells us about him casting out a demon. And, uh, you know, what we've talked about this. Some of you have been gone for the summer. We've talked about the demons and demon possession and their fallen angels. And sometimes with unbelievers, demons could actually live inside of these of people. And, and we see this is happening here. There's a man that is controlled by a demon. 
and he can't talk. And so Jesus cast the demon out, and the man can talk, and the people are amazed about it. Look what happened. Look at verse 14. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. When Jesus cast out the demon, the people, they were all going, Good night! Did you see that? That's unbelievable. That's amazing. In fact, every time he does these miracles, people go, Wow! Now, the religious leaders do not want the people to believe in Jesus. And so look what happens. Verse 15. But some of them said... Now, you can't tell from the Gospel of Luke, but the Gospel of Matthew has the same passage. And he says, some Pharisees said... So these are religious leaders. Some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Now, sometimes it's Beelzebub, Beelzebul. Some of you have heard that name. It was a false god. It literally means Lord of the Flies. It was a nickname that Jewish people sometimes... That was the nickname for Satan, for the devil... So to say Beelzebul or Beelzebub, either way, was the name, that was Satan's name. That's how they called it, Lord of the Flies. So it says, he cast out demons by Beelzebub. They're saying Jesus is casting out the demons by the devil. That's what he says. They were saying his power is coming from the devil. Now, I want to give you a heads up. And some of you have heard of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We're going to find when we get to chapter 12 that we get more details together. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when someone attributes the work of Jesus to the devil. This is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit right here. See, when Jesus lived on the earth, he lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's God, but God, the Holy Spirit's in him too. And so he lived a perfect life in the power of the Holy Spirit. So when they said that his power was the devil... That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We'll see it when we get to chapter 12. He doesn't give us any details here, but that's what he's talking about. So when he says, they look at Jesus and they say, uh, that's from the power of the devil, he cast out demons. Now, at the same time, they're rejecting him. And notice verse 16, others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Now, I want you to understand, he'd already done all the signs. The signs found in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61 would the lame would walk, the blind would see, the deaf would hear, the, the, uh, those who are dead would be raised from the dead, there would be forgiveness of sins, and there would be the good news message priest. That's Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61. He's done every bit of that. What they should have done is when they saw the signs say, He's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. But they didn't. In fact, what they say is, Give us another sign. That's what they're saying. In fact, they didn't say, give us another sign. They were demanding of him a sign from heaven. He's going to give them one. We'll see it next week's passage. It's called the sign of Jonah. And we'll talk about it next week. It's not in this part of the passage. But they wanted a sign from him. Now, I want you to notice this. It says, but he knew their thoughts. And he said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. He does two things. And I'm going to go through it very quickly. Number one, he says, If I'm from the devil, Satan's fighting against himself. And then he raises another point, which I have to explain to you because it doesn't make sense unless I explain it to you. His second point is he says, How are Jewish leaders' disciples casting out demons? If he's doing it from the devil, how are they doing it? Because there were Jewish people who were casting out demons. And they belong to the Pharisees. And he's asking this question. If I'm from the devil and casting out demons, how are your guys casting out demons? Are they from the devil too? That's his question. 
So look at number one, because he says, uh, verse uh, 17 again, He knew their thoughts and said, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. His first point is, if I'm really from the devil, then the devil's divided and he's fighting against himself. Then here's number two. He said... Verse 19, And if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? They will be your judges. The number two is, when he says your sons, they called the disciples of the Pharisees the sons of the Pharisees. And so he says, if you say, I'm casting them out by the devil, who are these guys casting them out by? Let them be your judges. But he ends it with a powerful statement. And here's what it is, verse 20. If I cast out demons by the finger of God, he says, if I'm doing this from God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying, I'm the king, and you need to believe in me. Now, I want you to understand, when Jesus came to the earth, he announced to the nation of Israel that he was the Messiah and that he was the king, and the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And even John the Baptist and other people kept saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means the king's on the earth. He said that if I'm casting out these demons by the power of God, which is what he was doing, he says, then I'm the king and you need to believe in me. Now, they don't believe in him. But that's what he said. It's very powerful. Jesus offers himself as the king and the savior, and they reject him. As we go next week, we're going to see some powerful things because he talks about being stronger than the devil, and he talks about some demon possession. In fact, if you want to read ahead a little bit, we're going to get all the way oh, to about oh, verse 32 next week. And if you want to, look through there and see what he says about demon possession because we're going to talk about it next week. People always say, well, are there, are there demons? And, and is there demon possession? And can people be possessed? And can Christians be possessed? And, and how does all this work? And he talks about it next week. We'll see a little bit of that. What have we seen this morning? Jesus teaches and says that we should come boldly and persistently in our prayer to God. And he says this, if fallen people know how to give good things to our children, how much more our perfect heavenly father know how to give good things to his children. The religious leaders then said that Jesus was from the devil, but Jesus said, if I'm from the devil, then Satan's fighting against himself, and who are you guys doing it from? And he said, and if I'm from God, and I am, the kingdom of God has come. I'm the king. It's very powerful. Let me give you some applications. First one is this. Let's come boldly and persistently to the throne of grace. We come to God in prayer. We can keep on lifting our prayers to God and our Savior. We can do that. A, come boldly. Make our request known. Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known. Do not be afraid to come to God and do not be afraid to come to God boldly because He told you to come. He says, I'm going to answer your prayers and Jesus Christ is your advocate. He is the one in between saying, come on, come on, I'll act for you. I'll talk for you. I'll be the one. Come boldly unto the throne of grace. B, come persistently. You just keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking, don't faint, pray without ceasing. You just keep on asking. And you say, but doesn't he get tired of me asking? He never gets tired of talking to you and you talking to him. Prayers for you and for me.
He knows what we need. Now, be careful. Because sometimes people say, well, if you just ask, he's going to answer. He's going to answer. It may not be what you ask for, though. Because he's going to always do what you need, not necessarily what you want. And what you need is always better than what you want. Now, sometimes wants and needs are the same. And then you'll say, well, he answered that prayer. He said, yeah, you asked it right. It's just what you needed. If fallen people know how to get good gifts to our kids, what about our Heavenly Father? He knows what we need. Second application. Know that Jesus came from the Father to fulfill the plan. I mean, he's the Savior. Here's the key. A, Christ's power is from the Holy Spirit, not the devil. Well, that's, you know, we don't normally say that, but in this passage, they were saying that. So you have to look at it and understand that when Jesus came to this earth, he's the representative of God. He said, if you've seen me, I mean, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus said that I have come from God. He is not from the devil. He's from God. And anyone, even today, if a person said, I believe when Jesus was on the earth that his power was of the devil, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about it when we get to chapter 12. It's there. Second application, and this is the key. Trust Christ as the Savior. There are a lot of people here today, some of you, many of you I know, and I'm so glad you're back. I, I, I was waiting for you. could hardly wait. There's some of you I've never seen before. I'm so glad you're here. Please keep coming. But I want you to understand something. I don't know where everybody is in this room as far as their salvation. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He came to the earth. He died on the cross. He took our sin upon Himself. He paid the penalty. He was buried. And He rose again on the third day, walked on the earth for 40 days, and ascended back to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the Savior. He said this, Anyone who will trust in Christ, anyone who will believe in Him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. To believe in Him means that you believe that He is the one that will give you eternal life. That you believe He died for you, He paid for your sins, and He is the Savior. Right where you're sitting, anyone in this room right now can believe that Jesus Christ gives them eternal life and by the authority of the Scripture at that exact moment they have eternal life. Some people try to say, well, you need to come down the front, you need to do this, you need to... You need to believe in Christ for eternal life. It's that simple. That's all there is to it. So right where you're sitting this morning, if you have never trusted in Christ as your Savior, you can say to God, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe He rose again. I believe He's my Savior. I'm trusting in Him and Him alone to give me eternal life. And by the authority of the Scripture, that exact moment, you have eternal life. I hope and pray that every one of you, when you walk out this door, if somebody said to you, Are you going to heaven? You'd say, I know I have eternal life because I have trusted in Christ and He promised me eternal life the moment I believe. It is that simple. Don't let somebody confuse you. Don't let somebody add stuff to the Bible that confuses the whole issue. It is faith alone in Christ alone for salvation. That's all it is. That's why it's called a gift. That's why it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Trust Jesus as Savior. May we come boldly and persistently to our God in prayer, knowing that He is our Savior and that He knows what our needs are and He answers 
our prayers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. And Lord, first of all, we, we know that we can come to, see, come to you anytime, anyplace, anywhere about anything. We can come boldly into the throne of grace. And so, Lord, may we do that. May we be bold. May we make a request known. May we, may we just keep on making it. May we keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, keep on coming to you because that's what you want us to do. And Lord, we want to maintain that fellowship with you. So, may we do that. And Lord, as we think about our Savior Jesus, and, and some people, they rejected him and they even claimed he was from the devil and all of that. Lord, we know Jesus is the Son of God and He is the Savior. And anyone who will believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you, Lord, for that. We just we love you. We thank you. That is the gift of eternal life. And may we tell this message to many people in this community. And Lord, I pray for the college students as they go on that campus and as they go in these neighborhoods that you will use them to give this clear grace message of salvation so others may know as well. Use them, Lord, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.